Welcome to SPD's Who the F Did That podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Kershay, Creative Director of Allure, Glamour, and Self. And I'm Ed Leda, Design Director for Barney's New York. So welcome to our show. Eddie, I have to say, just right off the bat, this is so fantastic and surreal that we're both sitting here doing this right now. I know. It's unbelievable. Um, It couldn't have come at a better time. Couldn't come at a better time. (laughs) And to think that um, I originally met you 19 years ago when I was your art assistant at Details when you were given the task of relaunching and redesigning that brand while you were the design director of W Magazine. So I'm just going to get started here and ask you uh, just a little, just to tell us a little bit about your history, where you're from, where you studied. Well, I'm originally from Argentina. Uh, I was born in Buenos Aires, Um, came to the U.S. when I was two, Mm -hmm. and uh, grew up in the suburbs of New Jersey. and uh, was always uh, an artistic and curious child. Um, my, uh, my parents encouraged me a great deal to be creative. Um, uh, that was up until the point that uh, I was completing high school when they started getting a little bit panicked uh, and wondering what I was going to do, and I decided to pursue design. Um, but it wasn't quite the straight path that I originally thought I was going to take. Um, I was sort of uh, begged to uh, pursue a more, um, shall we say, promising uh, career like becoming an engineer. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was only because my parents said, well, he's got the ability to draw. He seems to be interested in machinery because I took apart every appliance that was in our home and tried putting them back together. Um, (laughs) I think he should be an engineer. And uh, I believe that that's what I should be. Um, and after applying for school and entering the, uh, the engineering program at uh, this college, I soon discovered that's not what I wanted to do uh, and uh, discovered something called graphic design. So along that path, uh, you know, we've, we've all been working in the workforce and in our industries now, but what was your literal first job that you can tell us about? Um, well, that path, first I have to be very clear that um, that path was basically covered and paved in fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was never underestimate the, 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 the power of fear. It's a tremendous motivator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been the motivator for the better part of my life. Um, uh, feeling that I had to basically catch up to everybody else that was already uh, studying the arts in high school extensively and applying to universities with portfolios. I didn't even know what a portfolio was. Um, I found myself looking for a job uh, and landed a position in this very, very uh, basic sort of design shop, if you want to call it that. Um, it was a local sort of uh, shop that did 
business cards and letterheads for local businesses and things of that nature. And I basically spent uh, the summer working a stat camera. Um, and that was really the very first foray into uh, what eventually led into a, a design career and, and, and the study of design. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I spent my, my better part of the summer basically in a dark room. Weren't you in, didn't you, I feel like I recall you were into industrial design. Did you study that at all or was that like just? Yeah, a, that was, a I, yes. Of your, the, Yes. Well, it was, it's always been a passion, but I think, again, a lot of that was initially imposed by the fear factor. My parents wondering, what can I do uh, that has a creative sort of slant, but will actually have the promise of a job? Mm-hmm. And so I did apply for the industrial design program at the university and it was sort of like an engineering uh, course of study as well. Um it was so engineering centric that there really was very, very little creativity in it whatsoever. And that's when I said, um, I've, I've got to pursue something else. Mm-hmm. And uh, my counselor at the time said, well, maybe graphic design is what you should pursue. Um, oddly enough, my interest in industrial design um, has blossomed tremendously. Uh, it did certainly over the course of my entire education. Um, and, uh, I've always been very interested in how things are made. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly have loved architecture a great deal. Um, but again, I, I never felt that, um, maybe I had the mind for it. Uh, I certainly didn't want to wear a sl- slide rule on my hip the way so many of the students that I was studying with at the time when I first enrolled in that program were, mm-hmm. uh, and weren't with calculators. I said, this just isn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I do have a tremendous respect and love of, of, uh, machinery and all kinds of objects. I mean, it would be great. I mean, years back in W circa, whatever that was, 2005, I'd walk by your office and you'd be in there sketching, you know, whether it was uh, 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 an easel, you had that special, that really great project that you had done. You were always creating or coming up with some type of product or object, and it was so incredibly detailed, and you'd be doing these blueprints and whatnot, and there was Konico, that was more of a plush uh, toy design. Again, a lot of all, all of those things, as I said earlier, were, were definitely prompted by fear. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there was, uh, there was this feeling that maybe at some point either graphic design will, uh, will end, you know, the bottom will just fall out. Um, and I may have to pursue something else. Um, but I was passionate about those things. Um, I, I didn't necessarily experience them as, as departures necessarily from um, what I was doing all along. Um, I just felt that having had this interest initially in some things three-dimensional, mm-hmm. um, it naturally worked its way out of my system somehow. And so once I had the opportunity and the wherewithal to actually think about the things that I wanted to design in three dimensions, and again... Um, you know, what I, what, I don't know if I ever did tell you this, but because my parents, my immigrant parents were so concerned about whether I was ever going to succeed. I mean, I, my father literally thought I was going to be a bomb. He would have to support me the rest of his life. (laughs) Um, when I turned 17 and I had to begin seriously thinking about, well, what's coming next? You know, am I going to a university? What am I going to study? 
um, I was so afraid of not having the right skills, the right tools, the right information, like so many other students that were going to pursue a career like this. I wasn't, I felt ill-prepared. I wasn't prepared for it. So again, I grabbed the bull by the horns and said, I've got to really start boning up. I've got to find out if the local university has a course in drafting. So here I am, 17 years old, going to the state university and paying for a three-credit college course in drafting. And here's this little 17-year-old walking into the classroom with all these adults um, taking college classes. And I, that's how I spent one summer at seventeen, you know, the age of 17. You're like, who's this kid? Who's this kid? Walking in. Exactly. But I did that crazy thing because I wanted to preempt the possibility of failure. And I wanted to have whatever skills I nebulously thought I needed to, to, to have uh, in order to succeed. But again, this, is, this takes you back to the, the notion of this fearful kind of beginning and, and, and being motivated. Well, I think I need to clarify uh, and set the stage a little bit of what was going on um, during the time I, I mentioned when I was 17 years old and um, had to spend the summer doing various things. Um, I have to explain that my day-to-day -day was, was wrapped in uncertainty and fear because of my mother's battle with cancer. Uh, um, she had been sick uh, from the time I was 13 to 17. And what I realized is um, I could be fearless about design and, and feel liberated um, coming out from under um, this dark cloud of, of illness um, and get lost in design. And, um, you know, the, the fear that I talk about comes from, from that time. Um, and um, that's basically, you know, why I think I seized every opportunity to be um, as bold and, and courageous um, when I was doing something that I really loved and, and took me away from those those sad times. Well, I think that hugely, immensely worked in your favor because, you know, and we'll get back in just because I want to uh, you know, touch on how, where you were in your career and your path leading you to W and, and, and afterwards. But, uh, you know, just going back into your, our, your work at W, that fear factor ended up contributing to how you approached those incredible evergreen designs that you had done that were so dimensional and till this day and will still live on as being, you know, I personally, I think some of the strongest uh, openers existing in, in publication design. Um, but just getting back to, to W itself, tell me a little bit of how you got to W. How did that start? Again, uh, you know, you never really take a straight path anywhere, especially in career. Um, I had had a colleague that there became a colleague of mine, a gentleman who was a, a fashion illustrator. And while we were in school together, he said, there's only one place for me to work. I want to be a fashion illustrator and I want to work for Women's Wear Daily. And of course, I didn't have any idea what that was. But as it turned out, Women's Wear Daily was the end all be all, you know, trade news publication that distributed all of the news related to fashion, the fashion community. And daily, there were sketches in that paper uh, reflect, reflecting the latest fashions, the latest uh, uh, designs coming out of Paris, Italy, uh, London. And it was the place for any fashion illustrator to work. And 
my first job uh, out of school was not too far from where Women's Wear Daily was. And my old colleague from school ended up working there. And I ended up working at a design firm a few blocks away. Mm-hmm. And I would visit occasionally. You know, I'd go and see him and we'd get together for lunch or sometimes he would stop by my studio and grab lunch. Was this like the West 12th Street days? This was the West 12th Street days. Uh That's right. Right. Near the Forbes building around the block. And I remember uh, kind of having had my fill of the design firm world. (laughs) And uh, I told my friend and he said, well, you know, they're looking for somebody here at W Magazine. And I said, you know, that's You're like, very what not- a magazine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, actually, I did know what W Magazine was because uh-huh, I, when I right. was in school, uh, one of our professors did bring it into the classroom and show it to us, and I was pretty impressed, especially with its size. Yeah, it was that large format, the fold. And exactly, all that. it was the large broadsheet, the color newspaper, um, and um, I said, you know, the magazines. That's not for me. I, I don't know the first thing about magazines. And he said, well, you know, just something to think about. And as the studio environment got more intolerable, uh, I found myself reaching out to him. And I said one day, uh, is that job avail- available still at W Magazine? And he covered the phone yelled across the room and asked the design director at the time, is that job still available? Uh, my friends on the phone would like to you know, interview for it. And he got back on the phone and said, can you come down now? And I did. I walked over uh, from the office and happened to have my work with me because I was already you know, making plans to make the exit. Mm-hmm. And they offered me a job on the spot, wow. which I turned down right away. <laughs> I I was just so frightened about what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. They they allowed me to freelance there for a while until I made up my mind. And after two weeks of stretching out that freelance uh, period, I finally caved and I took the job, not knowing the first thing about the magazine industry at all. Wow. And now who was the team there at at the time that you... At W. um, Well, it was it was uh, Owen Hartley was the design director. Gene Griffin was the associate design director, yep. I believe. Uh, and then there were a bunch of designers that kind of came and went throughout the years. Mm-hmm. And I basically ingested anything and everything that went on there. Uh, any work that somebody else didn't want to do, I said, just give it to me. Uh, again, I wanted to just bone up as much as I could, uh, get as much experience about something I didn't know as much as I could, uh, and finally feel empowered to be driving this vehicle and not having it drive me. Uh, mm-hmm. Because the first, the first few months were, were pretty scary for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you had told me you know, 20 plus years ago that I was going to be the design director there, I, I would have said you'd out of your mind. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't have any plans of staying at this magazine whatsoever. I'm just passing through. Uh, that was a 25-year career. During the course of those 25 years, um, Initially, the company was owned by John Fairchild, the mm-hmm. Fairchild family. It was called Fairchild Publications. And uh, they had several uh, trade publication titles. 
And in addition to those, they had M Magazine, W Magazine, and eventually they made plans to launch others. Um, but the big shift, I believe, happened in 1992 or 1993, yes. right. um, where W finally was converted from a broadsheet to a perfect bound publication. Mm-hmm. And it's um, when that glossy came along. That's right. <laughs> and the job of redesigning it fell to me. Mm-hmm. And now do you feel, you know, looking back, is that when your passion for, I mean, you're, I feel like you're known for your rebrands and your redesigns and you've led so many and we'll go through a couple of those. I think that the need and desire to sort of reshape and I think better something has always been present. I think that uh, I've naturally and historically been a person who wants to especially if there's some, um, something that's filled with tremendous potential, but for some reason, whatever it may be, is not exactly shining as brightly as it possibly could. I love the idea of taking something and buffing it and shining it and making it as great as it could possibly be. And basically impressing myself and impressing those around me uh, with infinite possibilities you know, exist. Exceeding my own expectations and the expectations of others is, is something that I think is what's pushed me all these years. So I'd have to say that's really what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, here was this um, tremendous uh, his, uh, piece of history, a publication that had been around for a very long time. And I think it suffered from just bad skin, you know, bad veneer, because the inner machinations of it were incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team of people that uh, created the content for, generated the content, um, were the ultimate consummate professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, it mm-hmm. just looked kind of rough around the edges. So I was very fortunate to have something that was intrinsically so good to start with and then just reshape it. It was an honor, but it was also just amazing to exceed people's ex- expectations. But that's really interesting when you said you know, you wanted to impress yourself because that's so true. That's something that I also, when I'm approaching something, I, I want to impress myself. And I do imagine myself being the user or the the person flipping through a book or, you know, scrolling through a app or whatever it is. But it's really true. You just to think about how you'd want to impress yourself, you know. And that's people, the true. People, that's the true motivator, I think, for for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liken it to just human beings that maybe never come to this re- realization of, of, of what their true potential is. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's nothing that I, I dislike more than to just see something or someone that can really shine brilliantly. It's just they haven't been encouraged properly. Uh, they haven't been uh, motivated or uh, inspired Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, just a good swift kick in the ass can sometimes really get things mm-hmm. get things moving. Again, the, uh, being blessed with the task, however daunting and however uh, much pressure I felt, because uh, like anything, these were business ventures. They weren't necessarily creative ventures, mm-hmm. uh, at least on the part of the corporation, at least the way they saw it. And these were things that ultimately were supposed to generate revenue. Um, and there was a tremendous amount of pressure to make them succeed. But 
for somebody whose road was so paved with fear, for some reason, I would be able to overcome that and easily went out on the limb and took chances with what I thought would be the appropriate branding or design or style uh, to impose on these new vehicles. Um, I was very fortunate that, again, before I did enter the magazine world, I'd worked for a corporate identity firm. And that firm uh, created custom couture designs for all kinds of different corporations. You know, it was, it was sort of this DNA that had already been sort of baked into me uh, and this way of thinking that you can take a vehicle and give it one distinct look and then take another one that caters to a completely different audience and create a completely diff distinct look for that too. Um, and I think that the excitement of doing that along with this kind of enjoying a little bit of going out on the limb um, and frankly, no one else really wanting to, to take responsibility. <laughs> um, it just allowed me the, the opportunity to do what I did. Um, but it was a tremendous motivator. Um, it, 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 was, it was exciting. Uh, I worked all night and I didn't care. Which is why I'm here at the office late <laughs> myself. I'm going to be taking your pointers because I'm, you know, um, you know, as I had mentioned earlier, being that I'm now responsible for multiple brands at once, I'm taking your advice now on how to do that and how to, um, at least, you know, my genres are all based around women, general interests, beauty, and then you have fitness. Um, but they really do each need their own breath and aesthetic and you know, so that's something that I'm taking into account. So that, that is a really important thing. To yeah, hear. I think the ability to navigate through a variety of these kinds of vehicles, genres, um, and my interest in dabbling in, in a lot of them. And in addition to my career, you know, all the while, while I was at W, um, and just generally in the magazine world, I always took on projects outside of the company uh, that were branding centric, however small. Do mm -hmm. um, you remember that? Yeah, because yeah. it was it was important for me to be able to do this kind of brand thinking, um, especially after you're at one vehicle, one magazine, where the voice always remains the same, mm -hmm. and um, that doesn't always feed you. And I think that other You're saying work, creatively. Yeah, I think creatively, yeah. yes. Yeah. I think that creatively um, having other creative work will inform the work you're doing uh, mm -hmm. at, your, at your, you know, your host job. And I guess there was just no, no end for me. I mean, I, I did the tiniest business card to the design of a book or who knows what. I don't even remember. But, uh, but it's what eventually uh, I think helped pave the road again to, you know, what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. Which is a great segue because I was going to ask you what it is you are doing now exactly and how do you feel, you know, about the transition from leaving publishing into what you're doing now? The transition has been phenomenal only because it takes me back to my roots in a way. The design firm that I mentioned earlier that I used to work for when I first graduated specialized in collaborations with architects. So a certain percentage of our work was three-dimensional in nature. So there were publications, but 
there were signage systems and wayfinding, things that, uh, you know, require the fabrication of a sign in three dimensions and working with different mm -hmm. materials. And again, that also returns back to some of the initial interests about how things work mm -hmm. and taking them apart and building them and on and on and on. So my position now at Barney's allows me the opportunity to dabble in both print and in three-dimensional creation. I work with a very, very talented group of uh, window display team uh, uh, teams, and there are uh, numerous projects that are either graphics that appear topically on windows or appear in um, in uh, installations that we do. There is numerous uh, signage that uh, pieces of signage that go throughout all of our Barney stores. This is truly the confluence of everything I think I've learned throughout my career um, and I've had the good fortune of being able to experience. So um, it's been it's been tremendous and I've been there now seven years. That's really, I can't believe it's been that long already. It's really like, flying. Time is flying. <laughs> uh, there are so many of us in that same boat that have either left this part of the industry or are trying to figure out next steps, you know, beyond print. Uh, so it's really interesting to hear how how elements of your history creatively has actually ended up contributing to what you're doing today so successfully. You know, I think earlier, Natalie, you had wanted to ask me um, if I could possibly pinpoint, you know, uh, a muse or where inspiration, you know, has come from um, uh, for me. And... Um, you know, it's it's very very difficult for me to pinpoint that, and I'm sure many creatives feel very much the same way. But what I can say is that I believe that most creatives just want to do their best work, and it's going back to what I was saying earlier about trying to impress myself and and uh, exceed expectations. It's really the companies that recognize and appreciate great work that I find inspiring, and I've been fortunate enough to be associated with with editors-in-chief and, and uh, CEOs that have allowed that to happen, you know, and, and have appreciated it. But if I had to f think of, you know, something that maybe I'm inspired by occasionally or I go to maybe on Instagram or think about and daydream and say, I, what if, I'm really into auto body repair. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, you are, though. Restora restoration uh, you know, of, of automobiles interests me a great deal. You know, there's nothing also like seeing a great plasterer. You know, when I see people who plaster incredibly well, it's, it's, I could, I could go through video after video after video on Instagram and watching people just plaster. It's just remarkable to me, but, um, <laughs> you know, th they're craftspeople and people have encouraged them and tutored them almost like in a guild to learn how to be great at what they do. And um, those are, I don't know, skills that I don't, for some reason I just kind of covet. I don't know. I just, I like watching that kind of work. So I, I think those are the kinds of things that inspire me. I, it, it, it might seem very, very weird, but I think, as I said earlier, the, the, the ability to work with like-minded people and companies and CEOs that, that really understand that what we do as creatives um, is about bettering their company and doing good work um, is really what our only interest is. It, it reminds me of this this Dick Cavett interview with Jerry Lewis uh, that happened in, uh, back in 1973 that I have 
shared with several of my work colleagues and and students when I when I taught, and uh, basically uh, Jerry Lewis is is being interviewed by the famous Dick Cavett, and uh, Dick wants to ask Jerry, you know, what's it like uh, from a creative standpoint to um, be in the film industry, the movie industry. And um, and what are the issues that that he contends with, especially when it comes to art and commerce? You know, uh, he's dealing with studio executives, he's dealing with producers that are you know putting money into these projects. And I remember Jerry Lewis saying, um, and it's tremendous relevance, I think, for all of us as creatives. Um, a lot of companies and CEOs and, and managers in general, uh, you know, people from the business side of what we do, um, they experience creatives as, as temperamental, you know, and dangerous and, you know, just, uh, just strange, you know, just odd. And Jerry goes on to talk about this and he says, you know, here we are, actors and directors and wardrobe people and makeup people, cameramen, and all they want to do all we want to do is the best for them. You know, we want to always exceed expectations mm-hmm. and they think we're there to sabotage them, mm-hmm. you know, because they don't understand exactly the path we're leading them down um, because it's it's maybe abstract some in some way. Uh, it's something that, it's a language that they don't quite comprehend. They don't speak that language. Um, and it does, like I said earlier, require a little bit of going out on the limb, you know, mm-hmm. taking these kinds of risks that you can't necessarily calculate, you know, uh, or have a, uh, an algorithm for, or, uh, you know, have a rule book, you know, a guidebook that tells you how to, you know, what's the road to success, you know, and ensure that there's going to be profitability. Um, and, um, so I think it's important to understand that every creative, uh, is so invested in what they're doing. They have a genuine attachment to everything they create or else it wouldn't be called creation. Mm -hmm. And I don't think any of us are truly uh, driven by the monetary rewards. I think that uh, if, if, if we were asked to do work that was strictly about money, I think we would automatically uh, have a, uh, an automatic sort of detachment to Mm -hmm. the project. Mm -hmm. Uh, It'd be a very different experience if it's given to you as a gift, please help me with this problem. How can I better this? How can I exceed you know, my own expectations you know, and give us the opportunity to do it? Mm-hmm. I think that uh, entering into a, into a relationship with an editor-in-chief or a CEO or anyone for that matter with that kind of, uh, of trust and freedom will beget good work. Um, but both parties have to be willing to be you know, open and, and, and trusting. Um, I, I really think it's worthwhile for people to just Google uh, or go to YouTube and just go to Jerry Lewis, Dick Cavett, 1973 interview. And Hi. I think you'll find it really, really interesting. I literally jotted it down already. It's right here, <laughs> 1973. Um, no, I th- and I really think it's also important um, when, you know, t- to gain that trust, first of all, and depending on who your client is or who your your EIC is, you know, to have somebody that it helps when that person's a little bit more of a visionary where they would trust what the creative is trying to do. And, you know, but that is really interesting, like yin and yang that I think is so important. Um, and I think you definitely had that fortunate combination with your years at W. Um, I learned a lot from it, just watching, um, 
just you know just the trust that 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 you were given and Dennis Friedman at the time and um, and all the wonderful things that came of it because there was that trust there. Again, it, it was a different climate back then. There's a lot more fear these days. There's a lot more pressure these days now, um, given the same tasks. You're right. I think that uh, that fear and that concern about how do we best monetize uh, our projects and uh, how do we ensure success because um, you know, ultimately the dollars really, really count. Um, it's a it's a slippery slope because uh, a lot of that fear uh, can be used well or poorly. And I think when you stop taking some of those risks that you knew uh, or you felt, uh, you know, in your in your belly that you know were worth doing, uh, because you made decisions based on intuition mm -hmm. rather than, um, you know, the math. Um, I think that's when some very, very good things can happen. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I understand, the, you know, what the times are, are doing to creatives. Um, again, I, I've been very fortunate to, to work amongst many other creatives who speak the same language. Uh, it's not to say that we're not prudent at Barney's. We are. Mm -hmm. uh, the retail industry has its 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 issues as well. Um, but uh, all the while, the the underpinnings of everything we do do still lie in being distinctive. Uh, uh, the point of distinction is something I say all the time. We have to always try to find that, and. Um, no matter, I think, what industry uh, creatively we're in, I think we should strive to try to, to continue to find that point of distinction and, and see if there is you know, a risk or two that can be taken occasionally. Um, again, going back to my parents, you know, they were kind of playing it safe and they wanted to make sure I was safe and secure. And um, I understand. Make sure you could pay the bills. Pay the bills, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I found that that was a very, very good foundation, you know, to build my career upon, but without taking some chances, like leaving the design world or the corporate identity world and going into publishing and now going into retail, um, without taking those risks, risks, I don't think I would have been able to create the kinds of work I do and experience the tremendous career that I have been having and I've had so far. Mm -hmm. Thinking about the newer generation um, entering the field, uh, what is it that you look for in a creative? And do you think that fear factor, you know, I feel like there's a lot less fear factor these days. Um, what is it that you look for in a creative? Wow, well, that's a good question. I, <laughs> you know, it's, it's changed a little bit with the different companies I've now worked for. Mm -hmm. um, but the quality that reigns supreme and was always true at W, I don't want any poison in my department. So yes. I first look for a very good, polite human being. That's, that's, so that's key. That's say, where it starts. I say it daily here. That was the one, number one thing I learned from you. It's like, we don't want the venom. We it don't, spreads. Exactly. 
So that's <laughs> that's the first thing. And then hopefully um, they'll be talented as well. Um, and and fortunately for me, I've I've been I've been able to find both. And uh, at Barney's, given the multitude of projects and the quantity that we 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 generate uh, of of, of uh, projects, whether it's printed materials or uh, you know the window displays, uh, etc., um, people that don't mind working extremely fast, mm-hmm. and people that can toggle between the design of a credit card statement or a you know window display. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's basically what you have to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And completely on the fly, um, it's mesmerizing. Uh, my first six months, I was dizzy. I couldn't believe the quantity of work we would generate at the rate that we would generate it. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally wanted to have that McDonald's sign that said over 50 billion served <laughs> or take a ticket or something. It was, it was just like that. Take a number. Yeah. Uh, the email on my computer basically rings incessantly all day with requests. It's like being in a diner. My goodness. How many many people do you have on your team now? Now I have three, and that's including myself. Uh, I have had four in the past. Um, There was a period of time where it was just two and occasionally a freelancer, Uh, and now it's three of us. Um, So... It's better than it was, mm-hmm. uh, much better. And uh, my staff is tremendous, wonderful, wonderful people. Um, You've uh, always had really great teams. I have to say you're very good at cur- curating a creative team. Thank you. Not I, because you hired me, but you know, just <laughs> saying. Um, a wonderful, talented, <laughs> tenacious person. <laughs> Got to have those qualities. Yeah, that's um, No, and you did, and you still do. Um, yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of my former employees came to visit me today, today, and she just found a new a new job, ah. and she wanted to come by and say hello and and reminisce a little bit. And uh, I hear from so many uh, former employees; it's uh, it's lovely. Your canvas was a printed page, and now it's a display that you walk by. And just the other day, you were talking about, ah, you know, I, I got to go down there and see see my winder. Did you end up going by? And what's the feeling that you get when you see this thing come to life? Um, yeah, it was it was uh, the weekend of the Society of Publication Designers Awards, and I was graciously asked to participate. And Which, thank you very much for that. It was an honor. Oh, it was an honor and pleasure. <laughs> and uh, Barney's does have a store downtown, and I had recently uh, designed some concepts for... Um, celebration of the Lunar New Year, Chinese New Year. And we had recently done a collaboration with Alexander Wang and having him create a bespoke uh, burger um, (laughs) with his branding and ours together. And we've been doing a a, a co-branded fashion designer or creative person sort of burger uh, experience. Now this is our third. First was Rick Owens, and then second was Tom Brown, and, and now... Alexander Wang, and we tied this into this Lunar New Year celebration, and I said, let's not do the the same sort of initiative we've done in the past, which has been somewhat oversimplified uh, piece of design. Um, I said, I'm going to make these huge faux wildcat posters 
you know, with boars on them and okay. Chinese characters and make them look like they were airbrushed or, you know, put through a, a printer that has multi-fountains where they just kind of print these things randomly, almost like uh, boxing posters you see where they, mm -hmm. they, they split, it's a split fountain where you get these kind of weird rainbowy kinds mm -hmm. of prints. And I started mocking these up and everybody started coming around saying, wow, that's really interesting. And you know, maybe we should just make a lot of those and make it look like a wildcat posting we did, but it's not really, you know, it's not really true. It's it's a faux kind of thing. And we'll put it on the glass. So we did it. And like so many other projects that I work on at Barney's that are installations at the store, sometimes I never even get a chance to see them. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just so difficult to get out of the office. And so fortuitously that weekend, the installation had already taken place just a few days before that. And I said, I'm going to go take a look. And I can't describe the elation. I mean, it's just so exciting to see people mm -hmm. walking in front of, around, and experiencing something. It's one thing to see somebody picking up your magazine. Right. Um, and you're sitting in an airport and you look over and see if you know, somebody looking at it or picking it up at the newsstand. But there's a whole other thing about seeing someone or groups of people interact with something so large um, that you can't really escape. Um, and uh, I can't I, even imagine. I've never experienced that. It's, I, it's tremendous. Um, um, it's really a wonderful experience. Um, the closest thing to it prior was working on W when it was a big broadsheet because you could just do huge typography. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, this is the biggest canvas I've ever worked on. Mm -hmm. um, so I was very, very excited to uh, to go see it and see people walk around it. And, uh, and then I went upstairs to our restaurant and saw a few people tasting the burger, and it was kind of fun to do, do that Do you too. get a discount? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do get a discount. At the cafe. Uh, I barely use it. I barely use it. I just kidding. Yeah. Um, does that ever that window display? Does that ever get translated digitally? Does a team have to take that and, you know, I'm wondering what the like the platforms yeah. that you have to work with, um, or that you have to think of ahead of time. Right. Uh, more often than not, it works inversely. We create um, assets uh, that are, are print related, print centric. Mm -hmm. And then we use the windows as a way of extending that piece of branding. Mm -hmm. So we'll use our catalogs uh, and or magalogs, if you want to call them that, um, as vehicles to show you know the photo shoots and, and fashion. And sometimes we will take those images and we'll use them possibly in some kind of an installation. Um, but it's it doesn't usually work that way. The assets that we do generate generally do appear, yes, on the web. But um, uh, if there is a particular installation that is um, sort of a one-off uh, and we want to promote it, it'll probably be prom promoted online. But it's not necessarily um, you know where those concepts begin and then translate into um, into. Uh, you know, other forms of assets, whether they be print or digital. In this case, um, with the uh, the Chinese New Year, first came the burger idea, and it was and, and it was in tandem with Chinese New Year, sort of. And then we thought, okay, 
let's really blow it out. Let's make a window because we're promoting the burger and we're promoting Lunar Year and it is Alexander Wang who happens to be Chinese. So these things are synergistic. So let's make a window, let's make posters. Mm -hmm. Let's then take some of the poster assets, parts of those and put them on the web promoting the burger mm -hmm. and we'll do a photo shoot of the burger and we'll also promote Chinese New Year, Lunar New Year a bit too. And so that's how those assets were kind mm -hmm. of uh, So it's used. a little more organic, I feel like. It's not like they're like, let's take the social asset and try to break the internet and uh, well, no, there are there there is that aspect too, because you're you're correct. It, 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 it there is always that component. It mm -hmm. just depends on where it's going to germinate from. Uh, the Alexander Wang Burger, yes, was accompanied by a hashtag, mm -hmm. uh, like so many other things are that we do. Mm -hmm. uh, our social uh, uh, department was present during the photo shoot, and uh, numerous aspects of the dining experience, the sandwich, a drink that accompanied it, were all part of the social aspect of it. So all of these things, yes, in some way, do get promoted on our social channels, uh, but to varying degrees. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because now, you know, when I'm building a team, I automatically look for digital designers. And I feel like it shouldn't be a digital designer. You're just a designer. And it's not about just being able to code and sort of hack a, a Verso site to make, you know, to do more than what the template allows. But you really do need that create that talent and creativity to understand what the basis of the whole thing is in the beginning and then applying it to whatever platform. So that's why I was wondering how, you know, how it starts and how it translates. Overall, uh, I think that what I will say is that the lion's share of creative assets and concepting does come from our department and floor, mm -hmm. the 11th floor, and web is an extension of those takes those assets and extends them. The ideation really does take place amongst the creative director, mm -hmm. the CEO, and marketing. Um, and then we basically use all the vehicles at our fingertips to get those messages out. Out there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it does work primarily that way. Mm -hmm. uh, so yes, the digital department, more often than not, uh, when there are these special initiatives, we'll be taking assets that we've even either designed art directed, conceived, and, and we'll reuse them. Mm -hmm. Now design, this is a very broad question and you can interpret it in any way. Where do you see design going, visual communication? There's so much, there's like our, we, so we all have ADD now because we're constantly absorbing information and things are shorter and sweeter because it's just an image and a caption. And you know, how do you think that affects and where do you see design going? That's a very good question. I, first let me say that, um, because of the quantity of work that I generate, I can't even remember the last time I had a real genuine deep thinking moment, you know, to really think about what I'm designing. So true. Um, I'm, I am designed, and that's not to say that I'm not invested in every piece of design I'm, I'm working on. Um, I am, I guess I'm just thinking about it that much faster. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and jamming it in between so many other things that sometimes it feels like I'm not really creating it. I'm, but I guess only my years of expertise and, and experience make it feel that way because I just kind of 
crank it. Yeah, you're cranking it out. I'm cranking yeah. it out, and I try to make it look as good as I possibly can, and 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 we do. Um, but I'm not really certain. Um, I I remember when the internet first happened, and everybody's asking me when it know, was birthed. When it was birthed, <laughs> um, and I thought. I'm not sure I want to be a web designer. And everybody would ask me, you know, is this something you're interested in? And and I remember, and I was saying this to my staff the other day, I remember saying, the only time I'm going to be interested in the web is when it becomes like TV. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, now we have Netflix, we have Hulu, mm-hmm. we have all of these, you know, couture sort of stations that we can watch on our own. It's not really the web. I mean, we're using the internet mm-hmm. to you know, see these vehicles, but it's television. Mm-hmm. And it's really weird that I had I've been saying this, I don't know for how many years, but it came to fruition. Of course, I never invested in it like a fool. Uh, I should have. <laughs> you missed the boat. I missed the boat. <laughs> but it's real time experience now. You know, everything is moving. I don't feel, still don't feel compelled to become a moving image, mm. you know, person where you know I'm editing film or I'm making film, I do still believe in that intrinsic need to craft something. And I think that experience and the recognition of craft, because you've learned what it is over a, a significant period of time, is the most valuable design tool. The machinations of how it's made, executed, um, are incidental. Uh, I mean, you can look at a lot of people that are doing that kind of digital work. Well, they've got a wireframe, Mm -hmm. they have a template, and yes, the content changes like a magazine, Mm -hmm. but the design really doesn't change much at all. Um, It's very mechanized, um, and that makes me question well, where is the importance of design? Mm-hmm. It appears that it seems to be at the very onset of the creation of a brand or an object or a magazine. But after that, it's on its own. Right. And it doesn't really require the same significant amount of maintenance that maybe it did in the past. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that, that, that uh, pervasive sort of investment over and over again it's not quite what it used to be. I don't. I don't experience the same way, especially now that budgets have become smaller, but also now that little bites of information on Instagram seem to be more significant than the true content and the true story that lies within these vehicles. It's that snapshot that is going to get you that like and get you to that place where you look at this thing and maybe you'll go to the advertiser's shop Mm -hmm. and buy something. It's not about that sort of continuous journey and not Mm -hmm. as much as I I think it used to be. Um, And so if that's what design has become, then what that says to me is that being in the branding space, being in the identity space, in the place where you get to birth something, Mm -hmm. impose its template, create its DNA, create the boilerplate, whatever you want to call it, is really where it's at. Mm -hmm. And then you move on to the next. I'm now more fascinated by that 
aspect of design. And again, it all goes back to my corporate identity roots. I'm more interested in that than anything else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's, of course, when I was at W in the, in the magazine world, yes, I looked forward to every new photograph. How will that inspire a headline? What can I write as a headline? What can the words do to create something interesting? And come to life. Come to life. And I don't, I don't necessarily experience that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming to life now is... You know, let's see how quickly people respond to yes. this image, yes. and you know, where does it where does it take these readers, viewers, whatever you want to call them, and how does it perform? Uh, so I, 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 I'm really not clear on it. I don't know what I'm going to do if if people feel uh, eventually, well, we don't need to have distinction between brands. We want everything to basically look the same. Mm-hmm. Then I'm out of a job. Uh, <laughs> there's really going to be nothing for me to do or think about. The point of distinction is, is, is a critical thing, uh, more so than ever now, especially while everybody's jumping on the same bandwagon to use the same vehicles to get their message out. Yes. Everyone feels an obligation to bow to this master. And I, you know, I don't need right. to name them. Everybody knows what they are, right. who they are. Um, so um, I can only hope that that more young people, the, the Facebook creators and the, uh, I don't know, blue bottle coffee creators mm-hmm. and the supreme skateboard creators, all of these sort of uh, newish kinds of brands that, you know, thought, who cares if the market's already flooded? I'm going to create something that's different and be mm-hmm. a point of distinction. I'm going out on the limb and I'm going to make that. Mm-hmm. And look at them. Mm-hmm. There seems to be room, you know. Um, you know, there are people out there still trying to find that point of distinction. They're maybe using those other vehicles that I mentioned earlier um, to get their word out because they feel somehow they need to, but they're doing it more on their terms. Right. Um, if I can continue to design and be fortunate enough to design somewhat on my own terms and give someone what I think they need and they believe in me, then I really think I'm designing. If I'm, if I'm just basically going to perpetually cater to and pander to, you know, likes and hits and whatever, um, I don't think I'm ever going to be good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly not something I'm striving to be good at. Um, I would hope that whatever I create is intrinsically good and worth experiencing and looking at. And if it just happens to be on any one of those vehicles, mm-hmm. so be it. Uh, but I'd like to believe that it's worthy, not because you know uh, just one or two or a hundred influencers thought it was worthy. Um, You've been creating, you know, you have your ideal studio, it's called, right? Is it ideal yes, studio? ideal, it yeah. It's ideal. my name. It's Leda with inverting the letters. I discovered love that. Love it. Yeah. Ideal. Um, and you've posted on one of those vehicles we're talking about, Instagram. Uh, I really love what you've been doing with these play on words and ideas. Um, they're just so unique. And I feel like trademarking every single one of them. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> before they end up out there. <laughs> Um, but it's really nice. It seems like you, you're constantly keeping a balance of your own personal creativity separate from what you do to make a living as well, which you are also very creative at. Um, so that's, um, something I really 
Thank you. Thank you. Um, Yeah, it's just another one of those things that I don't necessarily need to do because I'm exhausted after my work week, but it's natural. I can't stop doing it. And you're constantly creating. Yes, I I really am. You've always, walking by your office back in circa 2007, you would come in and bring in a sculpture that you created. I remember the man on the, on the, it was like the a, wire, the wire. Right. And you just, you know, you, on your weekends, you would just constantly be creating. You know, I, it it's, seems it's, like it's meditating to you. It is. And I appreciate the compliment. I, I know that there are many other, several other graphic designers that I know of, um, that are infinitely more prolific than I am, um, that create work like that. That's infinitely better. Um, but I think it's a good exercise for a lot of folks that are out there, um, now designers to keep things like that in mind Mm -hmm. because it'll exercise muscles that will beget other work. I really believe that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the volunteering to do that business card for a friend, you know, years ago was the, the stepping stone to then later on, you know, well, I, I can speak of a project now. Um, I just uh, a year ago rebranded um, a, uh, a dentist. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we, I, they, uh, father and son dentist. Is that Hart? Uh, Linhart. Linhart. Yes. Yes. They, you know, these people were introduced to me and uh, they're this premier sort of dentist outfit and you know they they do uh, Miss America and I think they do Howard Stern and Piers Brosnan I don't know mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a celebrity who's who but anyway they had this idea we want to create our own toothpaste and we met and fortuitously through you know mutual friend and I saw what had been done for them and it was not very good and again there was no point of distinction point of distinction point of distinction yes very important element. very important it ends up being the chicest that's right dental line of course <laughs> uh very highbrow um but that yeah, whitest of teeth yes <laughs> uh yes jan and zach linhart and uh uh very very uh nice gentleman and uh, very, very mindful of uh, what it was that, you know, I was creating for them and what they needed um, and, and, and uh, appreciated it. And now the, the brand is selling at a few different boutique-ish uh, shops, uh, Apothecary, uh, and uh, it's doing quite nicely. Um, again, you know, wasn't in it for the money. I, uh, I just wanted to make something really unique. And show them how they could look and and exceed their expectations. And now it's they call all the time and they say, oh, Ed, you know, everybody loves this package and, you know, well, that's on That's great. So you have heard the feedback. I have. I've heard yeah. it. And, 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 and a few friends, again, through Instagram, uh, after I posted some of the packaging design, said, you know, I bought this toothpaste just because of the packaging. And then I found out by looking at your photos on Instagram, you designed it. I had no idea, <laughs> you know, and that there's several people that, that have, that have done that. Um, so yeah, so projects like that, uh, are really enjoyable. And again, I've always done them and I encourage people to do that because when, and if they ever decide maybe they'd like to pursue something else, 
um, I think it, it, it would be great for them to have cultivated uh, and maybe just redirected their creative skills uh, in another direction that might offer more pleasure or uh, generate some additional income for them, uh, certainly broaden uh, you know their 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 tool chest, you know, and what they can can do. You know, I think um, you were you had asked me earlier about you know how I found my voice. Yes, you know? I and wanted to know. Yeah, just a synopsis of your journey becoming a visual communicator and how you found your voice and developed your style because it has been consistent all these years. It's a it's a very very good question, and I keep saying that it, they're all good good questions, but um, like any child who's been told. Please be quiet. Please be quiet. Please be quiet. I wanted nothing more than to not be quiet any longer. Mm -hmm. But what did I do? I went to the quietest firm, design firm ever. And, and what I mean is I was basically hired initially, I was told, because I brought something special to the, the company. But it didn't ever seem that they were using whatever that special thing was. They just wanted me to be quiet. And... Um, I was quiet and I was just told, just look and listen and learn, which I did. Uh, I thought I knew something about design when I graduated college and was quickly told I, I didn't know a thing. Um, and I, and I didn't, there were certain skills that I, I didn't have. They don't, they don't teach you everything in school. Um, I cannot imagine you not knowing design, but let's hear this. No, I, 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 I didn't. <laughs> Um, but a tremendous lesson was learned. Here I am, and I'm in this design firm, uh, which prided itself on being uh, one of <clears> the <throat> few top Manhattan firms, and I had wanted to work there. I had done research and really liked what they were doing. Um, and when I went to work there, I soon discovered I was basically becoming part of a religion. I had to embrace wholeheartedly the way things were believed to be. There was a dogma that, that was present, uh, and I had to swallow the Kool-Aid. I actually had myself believing, well, yes, I'm an elitist designer working for this elite firm, and anything else uh, you know, outside of this room is just hogwash and is just not, it's just crap design. And uh, you know, we were really full of ourselves. At least they were. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think I felt uh, empowered enough or confident enough to actually feel like I, you know, was full of myself. Uh, but I tried to pretend. And um, I started believing that, you know, this was uh, the only way to design uh, classically and uh, uh somewhat monastically, very carefully, you know, typography was, was king. And, uh, you know, I would be kerning, you know, letters by hand. This is when we were still using, you know, knives and glue and everything, um, you know, till three, four o'clock in the morning. And I started to believe, yeah, this is the way it should be. You know, this is what design is. And, uh, you know, I'm blending going, in really. Yeah. And, that was the job that I left to go work at W. And I had said earlier that, um, you know, I knew nothing about the magazine world. And 
what I soon discovered about the magazine world was it didn't have this belief system. It didn't have these constraints. It didn't have, uh, you know, all of these rules, at least being in the, let's say, newspaper slash magazine business. There wasn't time for rules. There were just enough rules to get the material out, but certainly not to confine you and not to make you feel elitist in any way, not to make you feel that you can't color outside of the lines. And the greatest lesson of all for me going to W was unchaining myself mm -hmm. to all of those rules and regulations that elitist way of looking at design, you know, this is how it's done. There's no other way to do it. You know, this is the premier place that I'm working at and no one does it better. Um, that was all nonsense. Mm. It gave me a chance to really be free and learn not just about being free about design, but embracing so many other things, just people and different ways of thought. Um, and it was a huge, huge, you know, mind sort of opening experience because, again, I think it leads, um, it has led me to do so many of the variety of projects that I do. I think if I had continued to, you know, uh, maintain this kind of belief system. Um, I'm a magic if you stayed at that firm, you know. Oh, yeah, I'd probably be poor. <laughs> uh, uh, not have much of uh, a portfolio, at least uh, nothing of any significance that was any reflection of myself. Um, uh, I don't know where I would have really grown and what, in what direction would I have gone? What would I have grown as? Um, so that, not... that freedom really sparked the beginning of your exploration, really. Like that's Absolutely. 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 So the best thing that ever happened to me was not trying to work at, you know, a snobby design firm. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. being uh, in the trenches, down and dirty, cranking out as much work as possible and learning how to design on the fly and not letting anyone be sort of a master over, over you or the way you thought. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was so judgmental. Uh, you know, it was it was uh, it was a very difficult time, and I never really understood why I disliked it so much. But years later, after going to W and really, you know, looking back on the quantity of work I did, how much of it was so personal, mm -hmm. and how much of it was just not filled with angst. Right. Um, that's when I really knew, you know, that that I had, you know, arrived at a good place, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, uh, was creating healthy design experience, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, really enjoying what I was doing. Mm -hmm. You really had, you definitely um, have this free form creativity, but with such a strong discipline of work ethic and structure to your design. You know, it's really amazing how you really have both ends of the spectrum. Because right. you're not like this like wild, like, oh, who cares about templates? And no, 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 you're not this free form designer but you're you're free thinker creatively but very structured and that's i think what helped me along my path as well learning that from you yeah well i'd like to hear if if you could cite some examples of of what you're doing mm -hmm. now or or those kinds of 
ideas, those concepts that you think are still with you and, and still very relevant? I mean, are there are there one or two you can just point out or or somehow describe, you know, some of the the exercises you go through that are still or remind you of that kind of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that kind of thinking that I imparted? Well, I learned a lot from your routine exercises that you would go through uh, when you would approach a simple, let's just say a well opener and just watching you go through these steps and you would sort of uh, sort of familiarize it was a first date for you and that headline and you would get to know each other a little bit and you would kind of explore it and change the size and trying to get to know those characters a bit before you started getting the ball rolling on something interesting um and the inspiration that you would sort of pick up every now and then that you would remember from months ago that was still in your mind that would kind of spark something and you would marry those two and then it was like, boom, something would happen and it would just happen. Um, but you did have sort of a set sort of structure to how you would approach within uh, guidelines. And so what I do now, uh, being that I have like multiple brands that, you know, I'll have someone come to me and say, we, you know, we'd like a new look for this content and we want to sort of refresh it. And so I'll channel, you know, I'll like tune into years ago watching you do this and as well as Rockwell at the time with details. Um, I would think, I would just say, okay, this is a blank canvas and we want to go wild with this, right? You just, I say to myself, let's go wild. Let's not be so precious, but keeping within the breath and tone of what the goal is. And so um, when I'm talking to the team about explorations, I, I tell them to sort of like think about, you know, just a general aesthetic and a, and a feel and a vibe. And I kind of put something together there, but it is within a structured approach. And we go through these explorations and those galley tests that I had to do back then really taught me a lot about really studying <clears throat> how gray a page looked or how many rivers you would see with a, as, as you would say, wall-to-wall cop- carpeting back then. You know, you'd have like a thousand words on a page. Um, how do you make that look beautiful? And so um, I guess now what I do is looking at like the simplest element on the page, which ends up being the backbone of the entire feel has to be the most refined, structured, disciplined design approach. And then you can kind of from there stem out and do something wild and it'll click and that boom happens. I don't know if that makes sense mm-hmm. to verbalize this, but yeah, yeah. that's sort of what I learned from you along all those years. Mm. And just try to do something interesting and different, but there are, of course, influences. Like a lot of my design would be is heavily influenced by what you've done, what Rockwell has done, because there is that education and a par- particular type of style. But then that gets taken and sort of massaged into a particular f- uh, branding for whatever that genre is. But that core, strong, disciplined design is, is that backbone that's there. Does that make sense? Yeah. I still use some of the same exercises that uh, I used back then with my staff now. And I've simplified some of the exercises um, because there isn't as much time now to kind of indulge, but um, I, I've sort of created a glossary, so to speak, of those kinds of exercises mm-hmm. and 
um, you know, I just say always look for the large, medium, and small element. You know, I always look for the the relationship between the number of characters and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And then try to find those magical moments where words and letters sort of meet and create, you know, something even greater than what they are independently, you know. Mm-hmm. And those are the exercises that I still, you know, enjoy working on. But I, I, I ask my staff to kind of look at those ideas as well. Well, how do you, how do you impart some of those, I think, very great sort of ideas that seem to be intrinsic to print design to your designers now where mm-hmm. things are so digitally centric? How do you have them look and aspire to creating something digitally that is current beautifully or mm-hmm. uh, is just sort of um, not left to chance because the you know, the web and the browser you're using, you know, on one machine makes mm-hmm. your creation look one way and then you can't really control the spacing on another mm-hmm. browser. And what do you instruct them to strive for? Or are you just a bit more lenient? It is a little frustrating and challenging because you, you, I have let go of those disciplined, you know, type design attributes, you know, like getting in there and kerning, it's, it's, it's going to be impossible. So right now, what the way we approach it, the way, the way I approach it when I'm working with the digital art director is that we want to make more from less. So there's a quicker experience, right? Somebody gets to a page, you're going to scroll by it. But what's going to happen with that page that's happening, you know, that's right in front of you? We have a photo shoot. We have a cover shoot. Did we, can we create a GIF out of this? Can we have a four to five second clip? motion clip, you know, so it's really more about working on a general aesthetic as your design concept, really, as that creative concept, and then taking those more concrete elements like photo and type and having them react differently. Like we have this Halsey, um, that musician Halsey that we had just done a digital cover for Glamour, and, you know, she's like kicking, and but it's just a simple photo shoot she has a lot of energy as a personality. So the photos already have something happening as is, but what do you do with that still photo on a stagnant page that you're just scrolling by? So we sort of created this scrolling gallery where there was um, an interactive scroll movement. We had worked with these pull quotes that would have motion and they would move. And so it's really about coming up with an overall breath for the design and the rest is sort of all just technical, but it's less about like taking that drop cap and having, you know, bold facing that first line in the text. That is still there, but it's less precious for sure. So it's been hard to let go of that, but it's happened. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's very well said. I think that's how I've experienced it. Um, but again, I, I haven't had to completely sacrifice it yet. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm Mm -hmm. still fortunate enough that it's still important and I still get to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure that I'll ever get comfortable with not being able to do it. I I have a very difficult time just dealing with the kerning on the web. Mm -hmm. You know, that it's Mm -hmm. just very, very difficult to Mm -hmm. adjust. 
I don't know if I'll ever get used to that. Well, this was wonderful and fantastic. And again, very surreal that I got to sit here with you and have this conversation, Edward Lita. Um, I want to thank you again for joining me for the Society of Publication Designers podcast. And I'm Natalie Kershay signing off. Stay tuned for our next one.